Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity we have again to reflect on the words and teaching of Jesus. And we pray that these words of challenging words of truth and insight would penetrate our hearts and convict us and also guide us such that we live more faithfully to your word and we obey your word as you call us to do and as is ultimately the source of our greatest blessing. Amen. Uh, there will also be time for comments and questions at the end of our sermon today. So if you have any comments or questions, uh, please do uh, make a note of those uh, for after the sermon. So by way of recap, uh, the overarching theme in this section of Luke is obeying God's Word. And we've been seeing to obey God's Word is actually the path to true blessing and flourishing. Uh, Back in 11, verse 28, we saw this. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So there it is. And the implied question posed by Jesus is this. How good is your spiritual eyesight? Uh, Will the light of God's revelation flood your heart and transform your life? Uh, Again, back in 11, verse 34, Jesus said this. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. And so the questions which flow out of this for us today are this. Are we truly living according to God's word? Are we obeying it? Is the word of Christ dwelling richly in me? Is the word of Christ progressively transforming me into the person that God calls me to be? Now then, since uh, verse 37 of chapter 11, uh, Jesus has turned to address a group of people who were not obeying God's word. Uh, Their spiritual eyes were not letting any light of God's word into their hearts. And the surprise is that these people are very religious And even more surprising is that these people are in positions of spiritual leadership. But Jesus is not fooled by their fake piety. And he pronounces a series of woes on them. Now, a woe uttered from Jesus' lips is a serious state of affairs. Uh, A woe is a wake-up call. A woe is a declaration of God's judgment. Now, a Pharisee has invited Jesus around to his house, if you recall, for a meal. But as we have seen, Jesus is both an unconventional and an uncomfortable guest to host. At present at the dinner are a mix of people in positions of spiritual leadership. There are the Pharisees firstly, and then there are the experts in the law. And as we saw two weeks ago, the Pharisees were lay leaders. Uh, they were members of a strict religious sect that, ironically, was deeply committed to obeying God's law. But Jesus has exposed them for what they are. They're hypocrites. Their spiritual fervor is skin deep, and their hearts are dark with greed and wickedness. Uh, We've seen that they pick and choose which parts of God's law they will obey. Uh, They focus on the minutiae of tithing, but miss the big picture of loving God and caring for people. Uh, They claim that they are seeking God's approval, but really, they covet people's approval. 
And so we've seen that Jesus has pronounced three woes on the Pharisees. But there is a second group present at the meal. Uh, They are the experts in God's law. Uh, Elsewhere, they're referred to as the teachers of the law or the scribes. Now, these people were the equivalent of theologians or theological college professors. Uh, The job for these people was to work out what God's law meant in practice. So what they did is they thought up lots of rules and regulations that were supposed to help the people live out God's law in everyday life. Uh, Like most lawyers today, these legal experts loved generating paperwork. And their aim was to make God's law practical. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, God's law called God's people to observe the Sabbath and not to do any work on it. But the question was, well, what constituted work? Uh, These uh, teachers of the law had identified 39 different classifications of labor. And under each classification, there were these endless subdivisions of what it looked like in practice. So the experts in the law, they're sitting there at the dinner table and they're getting rather uncomfortable. Uh, They're shifting in their seats. Uh, they're, They're keen to put blue water between themselves and the lambasted Pharisees. Uh, They want to make it clear that they're not lumped together with the woes directed at the Pharisees. They think, surely, Jesus is not talking about us. Surely, we are above reproach. We don't need to repent. At verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, that's Jesus, teacher, when you say these things, You insult us also. However, any such illusion of blamelessness quickly evaporates. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus has three woes tailored specially for them. Uh, Firstly, woe to those who opt for legalism rather than obeying God's word. Secondly, woe to those with hearts that rebel against God's word. And thirdly, woe to those false teachers who prevent people from hearing the gospel. So let's look at the first of those. Woe to those who opt for legalism rather than obeying God's word. Verse 46. Jesus replied, And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Uh, Rather than helping people to obey God's word, they had made it harder. All the rules and regulations had become an intolerable burden to the people. Uh, The beauty and the intent of God's word had been completely lost amidst all this legalism. Again, the Sabbath was a case in point. Think about it. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of delight. The purpose of the Sabbath was to stir the heart to worship God into response to his gift of redemption. But far from reveling in the liberation of redemption, the Sabbath had become an onerous rigmarole of rules and regulations. The true intent of God's law had been lost in the myriad ring-fencing rules that were supposed to protect it. And what is more, the hearts of those experts in the law 
was not to love and lead the people in the paths of righteousness. They didn't have hearts that wanted to help them. Rather, their hearts were proud. Their hearts were harsh. And their hearts were self-righteous. They prouded themselves on keeping their man-made rules. And they looked down their noses at those who didn't. These leaders were self-righteous. They were judgmental rather than being compassionate, than being loving and being caring. And so it is that in his next woe, the crosshairs of Jesus' scope zeroes in on their hearts, for legalism flows out of a proud, independent heart that is actually in rebellion against God. So the second woe, woe to those with hearts that rebel against God's word. In theory, uh, these legal experts were passionate about obeying God's word. However, in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, their hearts were opposed to God and his word. Their hearts were opposed in murderous rebellion. Actually, they had the same hearts as their forefathers who had spurned the true prophets of God's word. Now, if you look back into Israel's history, we see that the prophets had a very rough ride. Being a bearer of God's word had never been a comfortable calling. The job of the prophets was to act as a covenant mediator. They called people back to God's word and his way, to come back to his covenant. And yet their message did not have that feel-good factor that the people craved for. Now think about it. Who likes to be challenged? Who likes to be called to repent? And so repeatedly throughout history, the people had balked at God's word and they had killed the prophets. But now, that same spirit was alive in the hearts of these lawyers. Uh, they had built memorial tombs for the prophets in an attempt to atone for the sins of their fathers, but actually... They were repeating the same mistakes in their own generation. Look at verse 47. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. No sooner will the dishes have been cleared from the table when these religious leaders will give expression to this rebellious spirit locked in their hearts. Look ahead to the end of our passage in verse 53. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. In time, uh, this opposition would of course morph into a murderous plot to kill the greatest prophet of all, the Lord Jesus. And in due course, this heart would express itself also in the hounding and the killing of the apostles of the early church. So lest there be any doubt that these woes carry consequences, 
Jesus makes plain to them their culpability and their accountability. They will be held responsible for their rebellion against God's word. Verse 50. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. And so finally, we reach the third woe of Jesus. Woe to those false teachers who prevent people hearing the gospel. Now, if you recall back to two weeks ago, in his third woe to the Pharisees, Jesus addressed the effect of their hypocrisy. Uh, They were like unmarked graves that contaminated people. And so now also in his third woe to the teachers of the law, Jesus addresses the effect, the contaminating effect of their rebellious hearts. Through their legalistic false teaching, they had led many astray. They had failed as spiritual leaders. And for this, they would be held accountable. Verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. So in our remaining time, let's reflect on uh, some of the applications for, of this passage to us today. And the first one we're going to focus on is this, the challenge to those in Christian leadership. Uh, the first and the most direct application of this passage is clearly to uh, those in positions of church leadership, whether they be elders, whether they be ministers, or have other such roles. Uh, to be in a position of leadership in God's church is a weighty responsibility. And with responsibility comes accountability. Uh, the principle is interwoven throughout the whole Bible. Uh, it's there in the Old Testament. Uh, if we go to Ezekiel chapter 34, for example, uh, God has this to say to the religious leaders of that day who had failed to lead and care for his people. Ezekiel 34, verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. Uh, Jesus reiterates this principle to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Luke chapter 11, as we've seen today. Uh, The New Testament letters, in turn, reaffirm the principle for subsequent generations of church leaders. Uh, Recall when Paul meets the elders from Ephesus at Miletus. These are his parting words to the elders. Acts 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, has these sobering words of advice in James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
And whilst Hebrews 13.11 is addressed to church members, it clearly carries a warning for church leaders. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. It was the great 16th century Scottish reformer John Knox, uh, who was a burly man and he wasn't given to uh, wimpiness. However, when in his early days, his friends verbally confirmed his call to ministry, he is said to have burst into tears because he was appropriately fearful of the role, for he knew to whom he must give an account as a leader in God's church. When I read these passages as a church leader, I shudder. Uh, Do I practice what I preach? No, not perfectly. There are inconsistencies in my life that I need to address. Do I obey the word of God thoroughly in all areas? No, I have my besetting sins and struggles too. Do I care for the flock who the Lord has entrusted to me with the same love and compassion as Christ, the chief shepherd. My attempts fall far short of that standard. When I read passages like this, my first response is to pray, Lord, forgive me for my failures as a leader in your church. And that is quickly followed by another prayer, Lord, please help me to be faithful in this ministry of leadership moving forward. If you are in positions of responsibility, I would encourage you to also search your own hearts. Keep short accounts with God. Repent of where you have failed to lead by example. Ask for God's forgiveness where you have sat loose to obeying his word. And ask for God's help to be more faithful, to be more loving and more compassionate in this ministry moving forward. Let's move on to a second strand of application because we're going to think about the ever-present danger of legalism. Uh, Maybe the uh, original intent of this Jewish movement to practically apply God's law was good, uh, this movement uh, sort of driven by the teachers of the law, but over time it had become more of a hindrance than a help in assisting people to understand and obey God's word. Now I'd put to you that every generation develops their equivalent of the practical rules and regulations, uh, whether intentionally or subliminally. Uh, Christians develop rules and traditions that they believe are helpful in applying God's words to their age and to their day. Now think about it, in the mid-20th century, uh, there was the conviction in many Christian circles that it was sinful to go to the cinema, or to go dancing, or to drink alcohol. Uh, Sadly, for many, it became legalism that took on an authority all of its own. And sadly, people lost sight of what God's word actually said. Uh, In our comments and questions time, I'd be interested if you have any insights as to what are the legalistic rules and regulations of our day. Or even have we become anti-rule to the point of being unhealthily lax? Uh, You do sometimes hear church people justifying practices or traditions by saying, we've always done it this way. 
there is a real danger in such a statement. A healthier response would be, what does God's word say? You see, when legalism is active, the gospel is lost. Uh, Christianity becomes dry. It becomes a drudgery. It becomes mere moralism. It becomes oppressive and stifling. Uh, To use the words of Jesus, it loads people with a burden they can hardly carry. Legalism is wearying. It flows from a proud, independent heart that says, I don't need grace, I can keep the rules. Uh, Self-righteous religion is burdensome. The pressure is constantly on us to perform. And yet we know. Uh, We do not know if we have performed to the standard required. Of course, legalism conveniently turns a blind eye to God's standard of perfection. And it's against such a background of burdensome legalism that the true fragrance of Jesus' words in Matthew 11 can be appreciated. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the gospel. It's wonderful, it's liberating, and it's freeing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the gospel, which is wonderful, liberating, and freeing. Uh, Thank you for Jesus, who invites us to take on his yoke, which is light. Uh, He carries our burden of needing to keep your law and your rules. Uh, He fulfills them perfectly himself through his life on this earth. And we thank you that through our faith in him, uh, that poor performance record becomes ours and that you see us as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So please we pray, may each of us here continue to humbly trust in grace, uh, not to look to our own performance for our acceptance in your sight. Help each of us here, therefore, to enjoy and to revel in the freedom that taking the yoke of Jesus on our shoulders involves, that yoke which comes from my faith in him. Amen. Okay.